This is Joshua Spodek, and you're listening to Radio Free Leader. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Radio Free Leader. I'm your host, David Berkus, best-selling author, speaker, and business school professor. And each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with outstanding thinkers and incredible doers. All of these interviews are designed to help you lead smarter by sharing insights from social science and practical applications for leadership, innovation, and strategy. Make sure you stay up to date. Make sure you never miss an interview by joining our community. You can sign up at davidberkuscom slash podcast. Click on any of the episodes and there's signups right there or straight at davidberkuscom You can also, if you're listening on your smartphone and you're in the United States, just text the word radio free to 33444. We'll send you some amazing resources that we can't really share in audio format on the podcast, including the Radio Free Leader Starter Kit. This is a collection of our most popular episodes sent right to your email inbox. So again, to get all of that, just go to davidberkuscom slash podcast or text Radio Free, all one word, to 33444. Now let's get started with this week's interview. So who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Joshua Spodek. I do a lot of different things. If you're asking how I pay the bills, it's mainly from teaching as an adjunct professor at NYU. Uh, I also coach a lot of clients, uh, ranging from recent students to CFOs of publicly traded companies. And what I do for outside of that is, you know, my big thing is I've just released this book, Leadership Step by Step. And so a lot of my time now is marketing the book. You Wait, you mean the book doesn't pay the bills? <laughs> <laughs> It, it will, I guess, eventually. You mean uh, you're like every other author in 2017 where you're so enthralled by the message that you have to do a loss leader of a book in order to get out there and get your message heard? Is that is that what I hear? You know, I, I can't help but I, I, I want to joke, but I, I have to tell you, like it's I've been completely wrapped up with passion for this. I feel, you know, I'm writing it out of, I feel compelled to just because I've I've stumbled on something or developed something that, that works really well, that people really seem to respond to, and no one else is doing it. And you know, a lot of entrepreneurs have that feeling of, of I must put this out there. People are not, people have a demand for it and they're suffering without it. And I, I feel compelled to bring it out. I, I don't know if that sounds too serious, but that's how I feel. No, I, so I was, I was sort of half joking, but to be honest with you, that's what I think almost every author has, right? You have this message. I was, I was talking just the other day with a, a, an author friend of mine that we, we talked about, he's, he's not currently working on a book project. And we talked about the idea that you just kind of have to have an idea or a model or a program or something that just won't, it won't leave you alone until you actually do everything you can to get it out there. And it's weird, even in sort of a social media heavy, you know, 2017, how, how things can spread so fast digitally, things of substance for messages of, of core substance, the book is still like the best transmission method for those, those ideas. Yeah, it, it, the process of writing forces you to think things through and put things together in a way that, and then having an editor, a professional editor, you know, I have a publisher and I have an editor and it really, they force you to put this stuff together in a way that is the reader first and how is this going to work for them? I mean, I, I guess I should, also, I should also mention, since I teach, the, the course came first, the in-person course came first, then came the book, but also is the online version. So there's also the online version of the course. My, my, the book itself is, the content I think is, is great. I think that I tell some great stories, but the real value of it is the exercises that I give 
And the most learning that people are going to get is when they do the exercises away from the book. You know, each chapter in the middle of it, there's a stop sign. It says, put the book down, go off and do these exercises in regular life. You can't, you don't get strong by reading about lifting weights. You have to go out and do these things. And the online version, the courses are, they're more, there's more structure to them. It forces you to do the, instead of a stop sign, it doesn't let you see the next ones until you write up your reflections of the first ones. And then when you do that, you get to see everyone else's reflection. So there's a community aspect. Oh, so that's interesting. Yeah, the course version is a bit more, is more uh, comprehensive. So, I mean, that's interesting and, and part of where this all came from. And I wanted to, in the beginning, kind of talk about that. This is a different, a very different type of book um, because this is a very, I mean, it's a substantive take on leadership and leadership development. And at the same time, it's not um, a book of stories and four box models and charts and the, the usual stuff I think a lot of readers are used to consuming. It's fundamentally a book about doing, about practice. Um, and like you said, it's informed by the course. But even before that, it's informed by a sort of very different mentality about how to develop leaders that you have pioneered from the the norm. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, what happened was that I learned leadership in business school, and I give a lot of credit to business school for teaching it. And leadership is taught in a few places, not nearly as many as it could be. So I learned that you could learn to lead. That was a big advance over thinking you had to be born a leader. But I also found that when you go out and put, try to put it into practice, things that you just learned about, reading psychology papers and writing papers and, and, and doing case studies of other people, doesn't prepare you for going out and doing things. When you're out there and you're negotiating some really big deal and the company's on the line or you have to negotiate something or you, know, you have to look someone in the eye and do something. Like When you look someone in the eye, you forget what you read in a book. And no amount of lecturing will ever give you integrity. No, no amount of lecturing will, get, will teach you how to create meaning and value. So what I found was that I was learning on, in life after business school and what I was learning from was experience. And I then got really into learning how people learn fields that are like leadership, where, that are active and social and emotional and expressive and performance-based. And all of them think of how to learn to act or how to learn to sing or how to dance or how to play any sport, basketball or football or whatever or uh, how we teach military. It always begins with basic training, with learning footwork, with learning scales. And you practice the basics and the fundamentals. And when you have those down, then you move up to the intermediate thing. And then when you have those down, you move up to the more advanced thing. And in all of these areas, think of an actor, think of an athlete, think of, 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 of people who learn these things, someone who does improv on Saturday Night Live. They have they have this authenticity and this genuineness and this self-awareness that only comes from doing things. And so from a teacher standpoint, as a professor, I see that there's this technique. And I didn't create the technique. I just noticed that it works extremely well in related fields, but no one's done it in leadership. And so the professor in me says, this technique, this pedagogy works more effectively. The entrepreneur in me says, here's a bunch of markets where something works really well. Here's a market with demand but no one's doing it. And I think it's a great business model. Take what doesn't what works in one area, would apply in another, but isn't there and, and bring it over there. And so this, you know, I spent, you know, in between this years of learning the technique and putting it into practice. And when you learn to dance, you learn footwork. When you learn to sing or play music, you, you learn scales. And 
I'm sure that a lot of people listening to us right now have taken things like jazz for leaders or improv for leaders or something like that. Those are great, but they don't teach you leadership. I mean, they teach you skills that are related and you can apply. But what happens if, you, if, you, if it goes really well and you take improv for leaders and you get good at improv, what do you do next? I mean, you learn this one thing that kind of applies. But if you keep taking more improv classes, you're going to end up on Saturday Night Live. So I take my exercises from the practice of leadership. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot there, too, with this idea that, you know, in, in the in military units, especially, there's this saying that you don't, you you very rarely rise to the occasion, more likely you default to the level of your training, right? And it speaks to that idea of, you know, when we're doing this sort of, and not to throw this one under the bus, but because it's such an easy target, when like business schools are doing the case method, where they're giving you a bunch of different cases and showing you what the executives and the leaders in charge of it did, or you're analyzing the decision, you have to make the decision, et cetera. Those are great examples of the sort of hoping that you will rise to the occasion, but they don't necessarily help you default to the level of your training. Yeah, I would say there's a couple things that makes me think about. One is when I was playing sports in college is when I first heard you play like you practice. A lot of times people would say, oh, I didn't, you know, I missed that catch, but in a game I would have tried harder. You play like you practice. If you practice half, halfway, you're going to play halfway. And so if you don't practice at all or you practice something that's not related, you're going to do stuff that's not at all and do stuff that's not related. So uh, let's let's talk about that then. Um, let's let's talk about this sort of method for um, how do you begin to practice these. The book is is chock full of exercises and activities, but they they take a very uh, purposeful arc that really helps people map out. So these are the stages you have to go to through as you sort of grow as a leader. Surprise, surprise! This sort of first stage is not actually about influencing others yet because that's kind of irrelevant until you understand yourself enough to be worth following, to be worth influencing. So we really begin with that idea of understand yourself. I'm, I'm guessing at the reasons why you put that first. So maybe I shouldn't put words in your mouth. I should just let you say why. There's actually a few reasons why I put that first. One of them is that those exercises are solo exercises, so you can do them by yourself. And at the beginning, you can't throw someone through. If you throw someone to the wolves, they'll get scared away too soon before they've really learned stuff. So if people really like the most the stuff that it ends with, where you're leading other people. But one, if you give those exercises right away, people, they're, they're too scared. They, they, it's like too much for them. And they don't really get into the exercises. They're just kind of too nervous. And sometimes they don't even do them at all. But if you start off with simple and build up to them, it's the same thing with scales and footwork. If you, you know, when someone's practicing scales, it's not in front of an audience. Maybe you have a teacher there, but you know, you, there, it takes a little while before you get up to the stage of doing a recital where you can feel where people might be judging you. So one, it gets you to figure those, to, to develop these skills. Another is that this stuff is really important. You can't, uh, if you don't know your values, if you don't know how you tick, if you don't know that what mental models or beliefs are and how they influence your perception, how your perception is different than you think and how your thought processes work, the later stuff gets more, you're not, you're not grounded. You know, if you try to lead others and you don't know how to lead yourself, you can easily just get, go around in circles. So it's, it's part of it is because it's easier. Part of it's because it's more fundamental. Hmm. And it makes a lot of sense. And I think, yeah, well, there's there's the technical aspect too of just, I think a lot of times those solo activities, 
there's so many variables you can control and they're the easiest ones to see progress in, right? So like you, maybe from day to day as you're practicing your scales, it's hard to notice a difference. But if you record yourself on day one and then you watch yourself on day 30, you haven't actually interacted with everybody. You have not played a, a, a recital, but it's easiest to track progress because there's so few other variables affecting your performance. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. It, it there's The skills that you do by yourself are clearly you are developing skills. When you're working with other people, a lot, some of the later exercises you do with others, and if you do the same exercise with 10 people, you're going to get 10 different results. But when you do solo exercises, it's only you. Yeah, so you're holding, there's only one variable. It's, well, there's fewer variables that are changing. So that's another aspect too. Yeah. And this inevitably leads into kind of this second unit, which is much more about understanding. Uh, once you've understood yourself, it's about leading yourself, influencing yourself, actually taking kind of responsibility for continuously improving uh, what we've already we've already proven that you can grow right by, by understanding yourself. And now we're focused on leading yourself. Yeah. And so there's a lot of things there that are are basic things that you should have, but not everybody has. So habit formation, how to get advice from others speaking in an authentic voice. Actually, the speaking in an, in an authentic voice, that's a great example of why starting with understanding yourself. There's an exercise in understanding yourself, the first unit, which is to write down your inner monologue, to write the thoughts that are going through your head. And for most people, this is a revelatory experience, even though in a certain sense, the words going through your head are one of the primary experiences that you have. You directly sense that. You know, The world around me, I'm sensing through my five senses. But my thoughts are directly there. But a lot of people have a really hard time writing them down. Then, then when you when you get into leading yourself, the authentic voice exercise would be extremely challenging if you didn't have that earlier exercise, which is to speak that that voice inside your head as it's going without a filter. There's actually a few exercises in between that build on the original exercise, and to be able to speak authentically is tremendously valuable. It's 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 so disarming for other people to hear. They can tell when you're not filtering what you're saying. And that genuineness, that authenticity is really compelling. It makes you feel, you know, the con- what people write when they write their reflections is, I didn't realize I could speak so authentically. And I didn't realize people would speak so authentically back to me. And I point out that you're, you're already starting to lead other people through your own behavior. So, yeah, leading yourself is really, uh, I was going to say it's fundamental. They're all fundamental. But Like you said, it's this arc that goes through that takes you through a process of growth and discovery and developing skills. And each exercise builds on the one before and each exercise leads to something after. So I want to I want to dive into one in particular because it it stood out to me um, actually from the moment I started reading the book from the table of contents, but then actually reading it, and it stood out to me because I feel like in 2017 this is like the hardest thing for anyone to do, and it's the exercise adopt a challenging belief. I think we are we're sort of in this stage where we're so insulated to wanting to uh, just re- just have everyone and every voice that speaks to us and everything we say to ourselves reinforce what we sort of already believe, but there's no growth there. And so this here comes this exercise, deliberately adopting a challenging belief. So it, you know, I have to put it in context that it follows a few exercises. Again, I want to repeat that all of these things build on each other. So first there's identifying your beliefs and writing down your beliefs. Then there's um, adopting, uh, trying to sense other people's beliefs. And that gives it, 
attunes you a little bit more to it's not just you with beliefs, it's others. And some people use mental models as the term beliefs, as I like to use more regular, plain language. Then there's it's changing a belief and then it's changing a challenging belief. So it's building and building and building from basic, simple level skills to more challenging ones. So adopting challenging beliefs is changing belief for a lot of people is a really hard concept, even though once you get it, it's trivial. I mean, I don't want to belittle the challenge of, of developing that skill, but a lot of people confuse changing your representation of something in your mind with changing the actual thing. But that's not what you're doing. You're not changing the world. You're changing your perception of it or your belief about it, which changes your perception. And I give examples of people who do this in the world and how different beliefs, when you change a belief, since it changes your perception, it, it's functionally kind of like changing the world, even though it's not changing the world. But then it changes your you respond differently, and then that means people react to you differently. So you do actually change how interactions work out. And a lot of times, the difference between something working for you and something not working for you is your belief and your perception of it. I mean, some of the examples that I give, there's, uh, I mean, I give the example from Peter Drucker of talking about the three stone cutters. I don't know if that's familiar to everyone, but it talks about how there's three stone cutters, and one is not happy the other is kind of neutral and the next one's really happy and the difference between them is the unhappy one is thinking i'm just cutting stones I, you know i got to work to make a living and that's this is what i got to do the neutral one is like i'm decent at this i'm pretty good I'm, it's I, I i like what i'm doing and the one who's really happy is like i'm helping build the most beautiful cathedral in all the land they're doing the exact same work but one of them sees things a certain way and that makes them very happy and you can change how you perceive things. The other, I mean, the other big examples I have are Man's Search for Meaning. To me, the book by Viktor Frankl is the quintessential, the great, great real-life story of someone who was captured by the Nazis and put into Auschwitz and wrote a book about meaning and, in fact, bliss that he experienced there. And he couldn't change his environment. And he says very clearly, when you can't change your environment, you can still change your beliefs. Well, he says in, in slightly different language. But he says, you know, if you have inoperable cancer, you can change your belief, and that changes how you perceive things. Or uh, Jean-Dominique Bobby, who was uh, the guy in Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which was a best-selling book and an award-winning movie. And he had a stroke, and was when he woke up, he, he could only blink his left eyelid. And that was his only way of communicating. Of, this is only voluntary control he had at all. And he ends up writing a best-selling book through you know, someone who interpreted. And it's you read what he writes about and he's not complaining. I mean, no one would ask for this to happen to them, but because he was able to change how he believed things, he was able to make his life, you know, the diving bell and the butterfly, the diving bell is like a, a heavy thing. And he, that's his description of his body. But the butterfly is a light thing that flits around and does what it wants. And that's, that's his mind. And he writes about a freedom and the being with his wife. And, and, you know, if they could do these things, you and I can too. If they can take a, a, a difficult situation, and a lot of people listening to this probably have a boss that they're not really happy with. They probably have a situation that they wish was better. Well, my takeaway from these guys, if, if my material situation is better than I can only blink my left eyelid or the Nazis have me in a death camp, if they could find bliss in those situations, then I can find bliss in my situation. And I think that's a tremendously empowering experience to have. I don't see any situation where being miserable helps. And the challenge is, how do you 
gives someone the skill to do that. Simply knowing that you can do something doesn't enable you to do it. And so that's why I do all these little steps, starting with simple steps of just identifying these beliefs and seeing how they work, then identifying them then others, then identifying more challenging ones, then changing them, then changing more challenging ones. So, you know, it's just like if, if Viktor Frankl is the equivalent, the leadership equivalent in this, in this regard of playing Carnegie Hall, you get, it's, how do you get there? You've got to practice, 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 and specifically exercises that help you develop these things. Sorry if I talk too long. I just, this is, you, you picked a very, uh, well, all the exercises I really care about, and this, this happens to be one that's a personal one. Yeah, no, no, no. I th- I think it's great, and I think you know there's a lot of folks listening that are that are super convicted on the, uh, convicted on that idea, right? That uh, we default into this tendency to kind of uh, think our situation is stuck, our situation is hopeless, our situation. But it's sort of like as if you can move more than your eyelid, you have an advantage, right? <laughs> right over you have all you over, need. You right. have what you need to be happy to get things done, and and you know I I also want to mention that this skill. So a lot of people learn here and there they change a mental model or a belief about something and it makes their life better. And they don't generalize that to learn that you can change beliefs in general. And that's way more powerful than just changing one belief here or there. Then also, we're, we're so far just in, in the second unit, we're talking about leading yourself. Changing other people's beliefs is a big thing about leadership. That's how you change people's motivation. So we're still building to later exercises to come. Yeah, let's so all right, let's let's uh, let's take that. Let's take that transition because one of and I, you know this is where I think a lot of fake hurdles get. But one of the big hurdles in this process of growing in leadership is we've understood ourselves, but is also understanding others. And and truthfully, I think at least when I was reading this, I was thinking maybe this is the source of this kind of faulty narrative that uh, that in, that leadership is about extroversion, that introverts don't necessarily make good leaders, etc. I think it's totally bogus, and we've debunked it in a lot of senses. But maybe it's this idea, this hurdle of like. We have to begin to understand others, which means we have to interact with others, which means we have to be comfortable in environments where lots of other people are around. Of course, it's not true. You can understand others in just a one-on-one conversation and arguably have a more powerful influence. But I wonder if a lot of where this comes from, because I think for a lot of people, this is the point. When it's less about us and our own motivations, it's the uh, understanding others point where we start to think, oh, this leadership thing is really hard. Mm-hmm. Well, Okay, so the first two units being understanding yourself, leading, leading yourself, this is about you and what's inside you. And the thing is, a lot of that, for a lot of people, they're coming across new things. And even if it's not new that they've heard about, it's new that they're actually actively doing things, like actively changing a belief, actively speaking authentically, you know, without a filter. And so now I say unit three, uh, understanding others, is generalizing what you've learned about yourself and pointing out a lot of that is properties of the human emotional system not just you and so this is generalizing to others and once you make that connection between oh i'm a lot like other people other people have beliefs other people are acting on their environments beliefs and behaviors and that's creating their emotions and that's motivating them to do things and that's making them feel reward that's training them to be a certain way so that one, it connects you with the others, and that creates an empathy. And empathy is going to be a very powerful motivator or very powerful tool that you can use to motivate others in the next unit. And it's saying there's a lot of stuff that we are very similar. You know, you have a different background, so you have a different you have different memories and you have different um, you've developed different skills. 
but there's something similar in all of us that, that is we all have a similar emotional system. Your inputs are different, so your outputs are different, but the system can still be the same. And I often say that carpenters, they, they work with hand tools like saws and hammers to work on wood, and car mechanics use their tools to work on cars, and leaders use emotions to work on people. That's, that is the tool of the trade for us. Managers might use external incentive. We use emotions, we use motivations, and that's how we lead people. So this is this unit on understanding others is where we get more comfortable with the human emotional system. So if I remember right, this is also where we go beyond the book, right? You Actually, it's funny. You mentioned this was a course first and then it was a book. There are still little traces of the courses in it because now we're going multimedia and there are a bunch of different videos that, that speak to this idea on your site as well. Yeah, these videos are what happened was I, I, I struggled to figure out how to put them into words on a page. Because these are these, in class, when I give these, ta these talks on the human emotional system, people consistently are they're like, this is mind-blowing. And it's both mind-blowing and, after a little while, simple. And I, in the end, I decided it was really something that I wasn't going to try to put it onto the page. I was going to try to convey it in the same way that I do in class. And then I tested with all the students, and they said, yeah, this, I think you've captured it pretty well. Uh, and so... This is a part where I talk about the human emotional system and the different elements that affect it. And it's a model for the human emotional system that is not, I try to make it, I'm not trying to get it down to like the cellular level of the human mind. I'm trying to make it effective that it's, it's simple enough that you can learn it and use it, but complex enough to have the important elements of it. And like all models, I have, it, I have one representation of it in my mind. I communicate it to everyone else, and then people immediately start changing it and adopting it for their own uses, which is what I want. I don't want them to try to be just like me. And I get a lot of comments. It's like, this really, now I understand at a certain level, at the leadership level, how to look at the mind and how it interacts with the environment, beliefs, behaviors, reward, in order to know myself well and know others. You know, I can never know others perfectly but if you try for perfection it's really difficult and so this gives a, a nice happy meeting between trying to learn everything and just having something that applies still applies to a lot of situations yeah that makes a lot of sense um now it, it, wrapping up and so we have this whole leadership journey towards the end you have uh, a section that has kind of one of my actually one of my favorite um you know activities but actually because it's a it's a great ongoing thing that has um, significant benefit to others, which is it's making people feel understood, right? There's that, you know, there's the sort of trite Facebook meme quotes about people um, don't know, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, et cetera. And those things are true, but like making people feel that, making people people feel like you actually care, is in and of itself a skill. And this is in, sorry, I should have mentioned, this is in this sort of final unit of leading others, but I think it really begins from that, making not just understanding others, but making them feel understood too. Yeah, these are the, the leading others. These are the ones that when companies bring me in, these are the ones that they liked for me to do. Because last time I did it was over the weekend. I got a standing ovation from, and it came from how to make people feel understood. And there's a, a lot of people try to understand the other person. That's useful. But in leading others, it's the other person. We lead most effectively when we put the other person's interests first. And me understanding someone is something in my head, maybe in my heart. But them feeling understood is in their, head, their heads, in their hearts. And 
they're not motivated by what's in my head, except as it gets into what is in their heads and their hearts. If you know what motivates people, well, let's say if you don't know what motivates people, it's very difficult to lead them because you don't know what's really motivating them. And if you start imposing your motivations on them, you're at best lucky if you get, if you get it right. But even if you do get it right, they don't know that you got it right. And so they feel belittled. They often feel like, you want me to do stuff for reasons that aren't my reason. That's not, that doesn't feel inspiring to them. It doesn't create meaning for them. Whereas if you speak to people in a way, and this is the core of leading others, and it's really, this is what everything's been building up to, is to behave and communicate in ways that other people feel comfortable sharing their motivations. And why, why would they not normally share these things? Because these are our vulnerabilities. If I tell you what I care about, that opens me up to being manipulated, it opens me up to being made fun of, it, makes me, it opens me up to being hurt. So as a leader, if you, and so we all protect ourselves and we keep these things inside. If you're a leader and you can't lower these protections, it's very difficult to just tell people, it's not effective to tell people, tell me what, what really motivates you. Because that's like saying, be vulnerable without me being vulnerable in return. <laughs> so I give these exercises and I use scripts for people to follow so that they don't have to play around with the words. They can play around with their skill and it, it, it gets them to behave in ways and they'll see people respond to them. People will, will start opening up to them and be very happy that they opened up. They'll, they'll, you'll see this look on their face. It's like, finally, I can share this. I can tell by your behavior. They don't say this, but you can tell that they're feeling, I know that you're going to support me and you're not going to judge me on this. And that's what the script gets you to do is behave in a way that they feel they, they know that you're not going to judge them. You're not going to manipulate them. You're going to support them. And then once they share these things, the first couple of times you do it, you'll think, oh, that's really interesting. After five or 10 times doing it, and like any skill, you got to practice, practice, practice. After you've done it enough, you get this feeling like they're, they're, they're almost telling you, please lead me this way. I want you to lead me. And when you get to the next stage of supporting people, which is like, I think this is the last chapter is you, you sit with them and you follow more scripts and eventually you go off script. You know, I'm not telling you to follow the script for the, your whole life just until you get it really well. And then you improvise. But at the beginning, I recommend following the script and, and you sit with the person and they will tell you, when you ask them how do, you can support them, they will tell you to do things when they feel really engaged and they really care about what they're doing. They feel that they're doing it for their own reasons. They have ownership of the project. When you say, how can I support you? Over and over again, they will tell you things that if you did them on your own without them telling you, it would be the, the worst micromanagement. They will tell you, please give me standards. Please give me deadlines. Please let me know when other people depend on me. Because they're doing it for themselves. And so when someone's doing something for themselves and you give them a standard, that tells them, how to put quality in what they do. When you give them a deadline, it helps them finish it early. And when you're doing it for yourself, you want to do these things for yourself. It's, it's, when you're doing something for yourself, you want to do things as well as you possibly can. Now, to get there, you have to do these things to find out what's motivating these people, and you have to work on their, on their existing motivations, their existing emotions, not your idea of what they might be. Even if you're right, if they didn't tell you, they don't know that you're right. They think you might have just gotten lucky and they don't feel understood. So it's, it's, 
yeah, I, I'm getting swept up because I love the feeling of leading people this way. And I so often show people how to do it that, you know, we practice in class and I have someone lead me in class and it feels great to be led this way. I mean, you want people, people, one of the most common questions I get from my clients is now that I've learned this and people reporting to me love this stuff. They love how I make them feel. I've had clients who say, several clients who have said, tears of gratitude have come from the eyes of the people that report to me. And they say, how do I get my boss to do it with me? And every now and then someone will say, wait, I'm, you're getting me to get people to share their emotions and, I'm, and I get them to do things for that. Isn't that manip manipulation? But this passes the golden mean test. People want to be, I want to be led this way. I, it's, it's, it works great in couples for both parties. And I mean couples, like not just work. This stuff is leadership in, in I mean, I generally talk about it in a business context. But it's any relationships. People like to be led this way. It feels really deeply meaningful. Hmm. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. And it takes, the interesting thing is it takes a lot of work. I think we've all, we've all been in those situations where somebody attempts to motivate us and it doesn't fall flat because they didn't bother to put in the work. Um, but it's also worth it. I mean, we are, as leaders, we are dealing with people's lives, their existence, their motivations, their emotions, et cetera. And so it's sort of like, you have to take on that responsibility. I often kind of say like that's the first step is you have to take on the responsibility for the people who are entrusted to you. That's the first step to sort of realizing that you are um, that you are in this leadership role. And once you take on that responsibility, just like you would a parent, right? Like a parent, once it takes on the responsibility for the children it's entrusted to, there's a lot of learning and a lot of practice to do. It's really, I mean, this it's responsibility and initiative and empathy and compassion and creating meaning and creating value. There's so many books that say, give meaning to these people and you know, give them a purpose. And I think most people reading it are like, okay, I'd like to, but what exactly do I do? It's like telling a musician, play with feeling. Like, yeah, that's what I was trying to do. If I wasn't doing it, what, like, what, how can I help? And a great teacher will give them the ability to do that. And it, you know, it's, it's, you know, when you play scales, at first, it sounds very mechanical, and it is very mechanical, but if you do it enough, I, I, I don't know any other word to use. It's like a magical transition happens that you start expressing yourself, and you start being, you find, discover freedom. And for me and my clients, this is like a, the journey of discovering yourself so that you can freely do what you want to do, and then leadership becomes bringing others into what you want to do. And that's whether it's your own company or you're organizing something in your community or it's something with your family. Most often it's you are, you have a project. It's your project at your, at your place of work. Yeah. <clears throat> so I agree. It's, it's a, an amazing process that happens from this importance of a practice. And I, I, again, I keep loving this analogy, not because I was terrible at practicing the piano. And so I never really learned how to play, even though I took two years of lessons. Um, <laughs> but it also reiterated that importance um, of practice. The book, the, the manual, let's not even call it a book, the, the practice manual, the workbook for this is leadership step-by-step, -step, become the person others follow. Josh, uh, I wonder if we could pivot a bit from the book to you and ask you a couple questions that we ask all of our guests. The first mm -hmm. is, What's the best advice you've ever received? You know, there's a couple different things. I, one of them comes to mind a lot is when things were the most difficult at my first startup. I mean, the company was like almost bankrupt, probably was bankrupt, but no one forced us into bankruptcy and, and we you know, eked it out, but I got squeezed out. And I had a professor from business school and he just kept saying, 
it's the relationships. The relationships, that's what it's all about. And it's not exactly advice, but it, it's, that's what business has become for me. It's about relationships. And it's, it's something that has always stuck with me. And when things were going down and things were really difficult, something about him saying that, you know, the relationships, businesses come and go, the money comes and goes, the relationships really stick. And that's, that's really helped me make what business is about. It's about people and the relationships that I have. That's good. What's an ideal work day look like for you? <laughs> uh, you know, it's not that it's, it's, it's not the external thing that happens. I can't say it's been a long time since I've had two days in a row that look similar to each other. I think it's, it's the feeling that that's where meaning comes from is, is the emotions that you get. So it's, it's, I guess at the end of the day to have a feeling of, there's several different feelings. It could be exhaustion, you know, exhaustion when you're doing something you don't like, you don't like, but exhaustion from like running a marathon, that's really, I, I like that feeling. So sometimes it's exhaustion, sometimes it's satisfaction, but a sense of emotional reward of I've, I've achieved what I intended to today. It's really internal. That's the measure of, of what a, of goodness for a day for me. Hmm. What are you reading right now? Well, I mean, <laughs> it's my book a lot. Uh, <laughs> let's see. All right, that's fair. Before you were in that mode, what were you reading? The books I always come back to, I mean, it's getting things done. It's getting to yes. These are books that like, I, I, I keep coming back to, and I've read them a long time ago. But I mean, if you, what, a big thing in my life is I get rid of books. I, don't like, I have a library across the street from me, and I don't like to have too much stuff. And so there's only a few that I keep. And getting the yes and getting things done are the big ones. Mm, good answer. What do, you, what do you believe that most people don't? My book is not, the, my book is, is like different from religion. It's not, it doesn't really touch on it. But I often talk about taking on new beliefs. And I point out how the beliefs only, you can never prove something. Like, you know, I come from a physicist background. You can't really prove something is a certain way. And so a lot of beliefs you take on are not, they're beliefs that work for you. Like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Well, they're actually all from Earth. But by believing it, you, you know, you have, by, by kind of thinking, it's almost as if we're from different planets it improves a lot of people's lives. Or Jack Welch has a belief. He, he would, um, he would uh, a leader's like a gardener because gardeners don't actually like sprout the vegetables yourself. You, plant, you, you look at the plot of land, you decide where you're going to plant, you plant the seeds, you water them, you keep the weeds out. And that's the equivalent of saying, you figure out what market you're going to go into, you hire people, you give them resources, and you keep the bureaucracy from slowing them down. So people aren't really plants, but the belief works because it works even though it's blatantly not true. And what I, the real word for believing in something that you know is not true or that you have no background, you have no basis for is faith. And so a lot of my stuff is based in faith. It's just not based in the supernatural, which is a separate thing. So I believe lots of things that I know aren't the case because they work for me. The sort of things like men are from Mars, women are from, women are from Venus. I have beliefs that work for me, and we all do, but I consciously choose them. If they work for me, fine. If they don't, I try to find a better one. 
That, you know, that makes a lot of sense. And it, you know, it reminds me of one of Carol Dweck's earliest studies in fixed versus growth mindset was that you know, she, she sort of never actually proved whether or not we have these two types of mindsets, fixed versus growth. What she proved is that whichever one you think you have affects your performance, which is, again, this idea of like whichever faith you adopt affects your performance. True or not is kind of irrelevant. That's, that's good. I like that. Thank you. Yeah, actually, that, you made me think of one. This concept of introversion and extroversion, I do not believe in in one bit. I think it's it's social skills, solo skills, and you can develop just like, well, I don't want to get, I mean, there, there are certain people who've written about, about introversion who then give talks to millions of people and they look pretty extroverted to me. I, and so I think the terms are not, I think I, I consider them not useful. I think they hold people back from their potential. So, you know, I can measure your height, but introversion, extroversion, I think if you believe in it, then you'll see it everywhere. If you don't believe in it, then you won't. And I believe that people who don't have skills to be extroverted can develop those skills and then they will appear extroverted. But I don't use the term. I don't think it's, I think it's, uh, I, I could get started. No, that's, I mean, it's a good example. For the sake of time, we won't dive down. It's a whole other monologue. We'll have you back on the show. We can rant about introversion, extroversion, ambiversion, whatever. Um, our, final, our final question, uh, the title of the show is Radio Free Leader. In your view, and again, there's a long growth process to this, but what makes someone a leader? There's a few different things. Oh, one thing that does not make someone a leader is simply having authority. And a lot of people confuse authority with leadership. They say, this person's my boss. I got to do what, what, what I'm told. That's not, it may overlap and it's great when it does overlap, but authority is not leading. You can lead someone who's your boss. You can lead someone who's outside the hierarchy. You can lead someone who's not even related. And especially if you lead with empathy and, and the ability to read people's emotions and to attach those, connect those emotions to tasks. So it makes someone a leader. It's certainly behaviors and beliefs and skills that are learnable and it's it's to behave and communicate in ways that others will follow that will they'll defer judgment to you and to and there has to be an element of, achieve, of achieving a goal so just getting people to do stuff chaotically i don't think that would be leading uh achieving a goal on your own i don't think that would be leading it may be a bit of leading yourself and so it's it's behaving and communicating in ways that other people follow you to help achieve a goal. That's good. That's a solid one. And the manual on how to do that, leadership step-by-step, step, becoming the person others follow. Josh, it's been uh, an amazing time together. Thank you so much for these insights, for these ideas, for these activities. Um, thank you so much for joining us on Radio Free Leader. The pleasure is mine. I, thank you very much. 